So as we mentioned, we are continuing our series, Honest Expressions, looking through the Psalms and really what they mean for us today. And what we have been exploring and what I personally love about the Psalms is their honesty, their vulnerability, their authenticity. And yet, in the midst of how honest they are, they are consistently focusing and turning our attention to the one who holds all of it, which is God. And I don't know about you, but as I have journeyed through life, I have noticed that life is not linear. Has anyone else had that experience? It doesn't follow this necessarily clear path. There is different seasons, different friendships, different hardships, different celebrations, all of the things. Life is very complex and nuanced. And we don't all just have one single experience, even as we leave the gathering this morning. What you will tell your friend about how the gathering was is different than how someone else will tell it. We all have different experiences, different perspectives on life. And again, it is not all inside one box and it is not all completely linear. And so life brings us questions and doubts and feelings and all of the things and as we read through the Psalms, which is one of the best parts of it, it is a beautiful expression of all of it. It is not just the good, it is the negative, or sometimes the harder parts of life. It's not just the celebration, it's the mourning. It's not just the sorrow, but also the joy. And so as we have been journeying through Psalms throughout the summer, we always, if you're new to King, take a passage to ponder with us, where we read one particular passage each week to remind us of the center of the series and also to help us memorize scripture, which is a beautiful thing. So as we do that, would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to test our reading skills this morning. Um, and to say it as loud as you can, maybe not scream it, but just loud enough for your neighbor to hear. Okay, let's try that. So let's read Psalm 139 together. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Awesome. You may be seated. Thank you. And so what a beautiful set of verses that set the tone for this series, because they remind us that we are not hidden from God. As we just prayed, as we just sang, all the things that we've already done this morning, that even though when it feels like there are times where God is distant, even though when it feels like God is not listening or he is not being necessarily as gracious as we would ask, or he's not opening the doors that we would like him to open, that he still knows us completely, that he sees our lives from the very beginning to the very end, and he knows, like we've said, our mourning, our joy, our celebration, our sadness, our grief, all of the things, those mountaintop moments and the ones that you would care not to remember, that we are fully known by him. That's enough on its own for a message to just say that even this morning as you sit here, you are fully known. The things that you don't even tell anyone that God knows and yet still chooses to be close, still chooses to pursue, still chooses to love. 
And so this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 31, which is not one that we read often. It's not necessarily one that we plaster all over the walls, which you will see why in a second. And as we do that, I've titled this talk, Living in the Both And, to describe this kind of tension that we've already mentioned. Now, I don't know about you. You're allowed to raise your hand for this. But how many of you have ever experienced more than one feeling at the same time? Wild. Maybe you were seeing a friend you hadn't seen in a long time. So you were nervous about like, how is it going to go? Am I going to say the right things? But you're still really excited to meet up with them. Maybe you are a new parent like me and you deeply love your child. Please hear me when I say that. But you also miss just leaving the house without your whole house with you. Or maybe you are recently an empty nester and you feel something similar to say, I deeply love my kids and now I'm walking through this whole other season of what it looks like now. Maybe there's an opportunity at work that's so exciting and it's a promotion, but yet it pokes in all of your major anxieties, right? We all have these experiences where we live in the both and, where we are complex, we have multiple feelings, and we hold these two things in tension. It's the same feeling when someone passes away and we mourn them and we grieve them and that we celebrate their life. And yet we also have hope to know where, where they are now. We're allowed to hold both of these things at the same time. And yet we live in what I like to call it a very either or world. I don't know if you've experienced that, but we live in a world where we are constantly caught between these two different extremes, the left or the right, the secular, the religious, the conservative or liberal. It's always asking you to pick a side. It never really wants you to hang out in the middle because then you're soft. You need to have a hard opinion and walk with it. And so we are normally, in general, of course, in our society, pulled between these two extremes. You're either for it or you're against it. And yet, as Psalm 31 will point out today, the Christian faith doesn't necessarily live in this either or. It holds, naturally, very competing ideas together at the same time that might seem contradictory. For example, kind of basic, but Jesus is fully God and fully man. Those are contradictory, and yet we hold them together. God is both three persons and one if we were to explain that without just saying, that's just what we believe. It's a hard sell to say these are not either or. We live in this both and. And so if you know anything about me, I am all about context. That's kind of my word of life, I guess. Um, but as we read through the Psalms, it's important to understand the Psalms as a whole, this entire book. And so again, in Sunday school, it was always known as the biggest book, that if you want to find the middle of the Bible, you just open it up straight to the middle, and you're probably in a psalm, un unless your middle is a little, or really off, to be honest. <laughs> and so as we looked, it's intentionally divided into five different books that we don't often think about or talk about. And the author specifically went back into the psalms, because they're just a bunch of prayers and songs and things that David and other wrote, uh, writers wrote, and they've divided them into five different books that each have their own category, each have their own idea. And what happens is from the beginning, a lot of the Psalms are very oriented around lamenting, which we will talk about in a second. And as we get closer to the end of the Psalms, they become Psalms of praise. 
that there is this progression even throughout the entire book of Psalms where things move. And the book as a whole is a prayer book or a song book, whatever we want to call it, for God's people to teach you how to follow this lifelong practice of what it means to pray. What it means to pray during a life that is filled with ups and downs and things that we don't love. And so there are two types of prayers or psalms in the psalms, and there is a tension between the two. The first one, there are psalms or prayers of lament. And these are ones that are filled with pain, confusion, anger. They draw attention to what is going wrong in the world. And they don't just stop there. They actually ask God to do something about it. They're like, hey, God, I don't know if you know what's going on down here, but it's not going well, and we need you. I don't know if anyone's ever had a moment like that. Then on the flip side, there is these prayers of praise that are ones that are filled with celebration and joy, and they draw attention to what's good in the world. Like, hey, God, check out what's going on down here. It's pretty awesome. And also, thank you because it all belongs to you anyway. And so all throughout Psalms, there's these two kind of polar opposite ideas, lamenting and praise. And some Psalms are full laments, some are full praise, and yet most of them, as is life, is both and. It's lamenting and praising. And so as we will look at Psalm 31, as I keep really just hyping you up for it. This morning, we're going to read it in its entirety, and I'm going to prime you a little bit that it's a psalm of lament. Okay, so just get your, like, position ready for it. Because David is very honest in in this psalm. He always starts with the laments by explaining the problem that he's having. He's asking for rescue to say, like, hello, God, do you understand? I'm here. I need you. Here's what's going on in my life as if God doesn't already know. So he describes the problem, then he asks for help, and then he finally commits to serving God if he comes through. I always find that that's a funny way to end things. It's like, God, if you really save me, then I will do X, Y, and Z. Right? And so David starts to kind of petition with God and barter with God. And so we're going to read the psalm this morning. And so it starts, again, by David saying, O Lord... I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies have set for me, for I find protection in you alone." I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. And I hate those who worship worthless idols, because I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. So that's the first little bit, where David's like, hey, I know who you are, I know who I worship, and some things are going on that I just want you to take notice of, but thank you. He has confidence. But now listen to how his words change. Okay, he changes a little bit the tone of where he's going. 
He says, have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and my soul are withering away, and I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength, and I am wasting away within. I am scorned by all of my enemies, despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I have ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me, and I'm surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant in your unfailing love. Rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. And let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips, these proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. We're almost done. He comes back. So we started with this confidence, this deep-rooted confidence. And as we'll talk about in a second, as you, you just heard, it changed a little bit, didn't it? My tears blur my eyes. I am dying in despair. And then he turns in this last portion to say, how great is the goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against you. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He has kept me safe when my city was under attack. And in panic, I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord. But you heard my cry for mercy, and you answered my call for help. Love the Lord, all you godly ones, for the Lord protects those who are loyal to him. But he harshly punishes the arrogant. So be strong and courageous, all who put your hope in the Lord. So even in this one psalm, would you agree that there's a lot going on for David? He starts with this amazing call to God, I know you are a rescuer. I know that you see me. Thank you. But then he doesn't shy away from the middle portion. And again, this isn't a raise your hand kind of moment, but have you ever had those moments where you couldn't see because your eyes were so blurred with tears? Have you ever had those moments where the sadness feels like it's never going away? or the grief is never going away. And what I love about this psalm, and as we will talk about, is that both of those are are there. The Bible actually shows us how to do both of these things very well. That he cries out to God for rescue and protection, and he just says, God, I need you, as we sang. I literally can't see because I'm crying too hard. I can't see past my grief. My friends are abandoning me. I feel like I'm alone. Like he uses like I'm a broken pot is how he feels. And yet as he's crying out for all these things, he still says, praise the Lord. And it's not fake. 
And so the first thing that we can take, we're going to have two main points today just to prime you, and I'm not like Pastor Dave where then I have eight sub points. <laughs> He's not here, so I can say that. Only two this morning. But the main, the first main thought is that living within the Christian faith does not require you to ignore your pain. It doesn't. And oftentimes, at least in my experience of the church at times, we're not necessarily taught that. That's not necessarily what we're going to paint on the wall. Come in and be sad. Leave, be sad, right? And so as we read through Psalm, David does not hold back his lamenting and his crying about how sad life is. Is this encouraging this morning? We're all just going to leave wailing. But he doesn't come to God through prayer full of cliches and ideals. He comes just being him with pure authenticity. And he wants to lay out to God all that he's feeling, what he's thinking, even how it's affecting his body, that he is crying out like a person who is, being, who is drowning asking for rescue. It's not like subdued. He's crying out as if, as if his life depends on it. And this was not, if you're familiar with the Bible, just characteristic of David. Jesus also had moments like that. Even when Jesus is uh, on the cross, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? He laments and mourns and cries over Jerusalem and the choices that these people that he wants to make connection with, what they're doing. Even Paul, as we read earlier, and we will read again, he's like, God, I have this thing that's bothering me. I have this thorn in my flesh. And we don't actually know necessarily if that's a physical thing or a spiritual thing or an emotional thing. He never really explains it. But he's like, hello, I have some things in my life that I would wish would go away. I don't love them. And there's actually, again, it's not one that we read often in church as like a benediction, there's an entire book called Lamentations. Five whole chapters about lamenting and mourning and sorrow and deep grief. How many of you have ever seen like Lamentations like in a kid's room? You only have stickers on the wall? It's not one that we often relate with, turn to, not even relate to. We probably relate a lot. But we all have these moments of great sadness, of great despair, of just downright frustration that God is not doing what we want him to do. Even this week for me, there are some things in life that are shifting and moving, and I was like, hey, God, this is my plan. Just like give it the seal of approval, and we're good. And multiple times, God was like, nope. And to be honest, I have no answer as to why, other than, he knows better than I do. But that's hard. It is a hard thing when God is straight up not doing what you asked him to do. It's wild. It's like we're God. And we're like, hello, I know the plans for my life. You're laughing because it's maybe just me. But you say, God, this is, okay, good morning, God. You know, here's my day. Here's my 10-step plan to get to where I want to go. I just give that to you. But don't actually change it. I'm just giving it to you, but don't change it. Just like, let it be, Lord. And then God says, we're not even getting to step one. 
Step one is not even what we're going to do. And we can feel frustrated by that. And it is okay. You heard it from me first. (laughs) It is okay to be upset with God. It is okay to question what he is doing, to be sad by what's going on in life. He actually created your emotions for a reason. As Pastor Dave has mentioned before, I'm kind of in the mental health world as well. And we often have this, I just want to do away with all negative emotion. I never want to feel sad again. I never want to feel anxious again. And while we don't want to live necessarily in those seasons, God created sadness for a reason. He created anxiety for a reason, anxious feelings. And it's only when they get a little bit too far gone that we maybe need some extra attention but he gave us these complex emotions so that we could hold it all. We're allowed to have them. And yet, as I mentioned earlier, I don't know about you, but lamenting was not something that I heard often from a stage like this. I didn't really hear about the fact that we're allowed to be upset or I'm allowed to come and be sad or mourn. Not only like maybe a person, that's we're, we welcome that but a situation or a life that I thought I was going to have. We don't live in that world very often that I didn't really know that I was allowed to be upset with God. And so often, and this is well-intentioned, please hear me, we want people to be happy. And so often when people come and they're like, you know what, God is just not, it doesn't feel like he's close to me. There's kind of often these cliches, or again, well-intentioned, because we're all lovely people here. Things that kind of we say of like, come on, just like pick your head up. James says to be happy in all of our hardships. We should be praiseful in all of our, in all of our difficulties. So come on, praise the Lord. And what I'm here to explain this morning, it's not either or. It's not this, I, I'm frustrated with God. Oh no, don't. Be happy. That's a song, right? It's, it's both, as David's going to explain to us, that I can be frustrated or disappointed or sad about something in life and still say, and yet, God, you're so good. I still worship you in that. And all throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, is lamenting. In every book, you will find it. In every single book, you will find someone lamenting. It's this understanding that the world is not going to be that we, the way that we want it until Jesus comes. There's an author that I love, and she explains it, that we're living in between two gardens. The Garden of Eden and the garden that we will experience in the new heaven and the new earth. And as long as we're in the in-between, it will feel like that. It will feel hard. It will feel like we are in tension. It will feel like life doesn't go the way that we want it. Our relationships aren't going to be perfect. Our plans are not always going to happen, and your expectations will be let down. Amen. It's good, eh? And yet, this is the world that we live, but we can hold all of these emotions in tension and bring them to God because he's no stranger to them. Like I said, he literally created them, so they're not new. And so N.T. Wright explains, very briefly, we'll do this. I guess these are my sub-points, so maybe I'll take back my statement earlier for Pastor Dave. But the, the, the laments are five things, very briefly. 
Laments are a form of praise. They appeal to God based on a confidence. You wouldn't be telling God what's wrong in your life if you didn't believe in him. Right? There is a form of knowing that he is capable to even hear you or understand the outcome. The laments are a proof of relationship. Again, you wouldn't cry out to a God that you didn't even know was there. There is some sort of relationship to say, God, here's what's going on. They are a pathway to intimacy with God. That by being transparent and honest and authentic, that you can experience all of those things and that you can reinforce this attachment just like you have with parents. For those of you who have teenagers, you understand what that means when you just say, how's life? And they say, fine. It's a real bonding experience just then. And yet when you say, how was your day? And they let you in on something. That's intimacy. It's relationship. They are prayers for God to act And the last one, which I love, is they are participation in other people's pain. That they're not just, when we lament, especially the ones biblically, it's not just personal lament. It's to say, like, God, do you see what's going on in our world? Do you see what's going on in my friend's life? How could that be happening? How could you let that happen to him? That when we love our neighbors really well, we actually allow them to experience sadness. That's sometimes the best thing that you can do when someone that you know is mourning is not to show up and to explain to them why they shouldn't be in mourning. It's to just be. And there's a really cute story, just to add a little bit of light to the message this morning, that says, one afternoon, a man came home from work and found two young girls from his neighborhood sitting on the steps of his building. Both girls were weeping uncontrollably, shedding big, huge tears, just sobbing their brains out. And thinking that they might be hurt, this man put his briefcase down and went straight over to them. And he said, are you all right? And still sobbing, one of the girls held up her doll and she said, my baby doll's arm fell off. I know. A very compassionate group of people this morning. They're like, no. And the man took the the doll and its dismembered arm, and he, after a little bit of effort, jiggled it back together and put the doll back as a whole. And she said, thank you, and she kind of, you know, got herself together again. And he turns to the other little girl, and he said, and what's the matter with you, young lady? And the little girl stands up, and she wipes her tears, and she puts herself together, and she goes, oh, um, nothing. I was just helping her cry. And it's a small little moment of even, because kids do that, right? They don't even know why they're crying sometimes. It's just they're crying. My son's probably doing it in the nursery right now. And yet it's this moment to say it's beautiful when we can sit in other people's feelings, where we can celebrate with them. I think that's the marker of real community is I can say, man, I'm so happy for you. In my household, my husband would say, awesome, let's go get some cheesecake or something about that. Like, he's very excited about food. And yet also, I'm so sorry that that's happening to you. Can I just sit with you in your grief? Can I just sit with you in your sadness to just know that you're not by yourself, like David said he was? And what I love about these laments, and that leads to our second point, is that they're not the final prayer. Laments are not where it ends. There are prayers in the meantime. While we live in this in-between two gardens. 
And so we can feel and process this pain with a forward-looking hope. That when David expresses this pain and despair in the middle of the psalm, he also, like I said, has this very cheerfully confident beginning and yet ends with this praise and triumph and even like push to like be strong and courageous after everything that he said. And both the lamenting and praise are present here and they are equally valid that we don't have to live in one or the other. We don't have to live in solely lamenting or solely praising. We can live in both because God made space for both of those things. Or it wouldn't be in Scripture. And so while David continues to walk through challenging time, from the beginning of the psalm to the end, his situation didn't change. It was literally in one sitting, he probably wrote that down, that he knows that where his situation is, he can process it and explain it and be sad about it, but it doesn't end there. We sing the song here often at King that says, if I'm not dead, you're not done. Right? That each morning is a new opportunity. And so he knows, even still, that while things are messy and his situation is hard, that he lives with a God who hears, who is capable to change, and is worthy of praise. And so as we read earlier, and I'll read it again as we get close to wrapping up this morning, he says, so, this is Paul in 2 Corinthians, to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Again, he doesn't ever really explain what that means. It could be a physical ailment. It could be an emotional ailment. It could be a literal person. We don't know. That'd be rude if it was a physical person, but it is what it is. So I was sent, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Whoa, such strong language, Paul. And three times I have begged for the Lord to take it away. And each time the Lord said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. And even just to pause there, God doesn't respond with, don't worry, I'm going to take it away. Oh, don't worry. Don't be sad about it. It's no big deal. He says, yep, but my grace is all you need in the middle of it. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad, as Paul says, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in my insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen to that? And so Paul was given hardship after hardship. Literally was like shipwrecked, beaten, tortured, all of the above. And he says, God, I'm kind of at the end. I'm frustrated. And you gave me this thorn in the flesh. And God just says, my grace is all you need. Life is still going to happen. Hurt is still going to happen. And yet... When you feel the weakest is when I'm going to come in and help you be the strongest. And so we are not immune to heartache in this life. I'm not naive enough to think that as you walked in this room this morning, some of you might be right there. Right in that sweet spot, even though it doesn't feel sweet. Where you're right in the middle of that heartache, in that despair, in that sorrow. Maybe you've walked in and you just came out of that season. Or life is going really well, and that's awesome as too. And you may have needed to hear this morning that you can lament. 
that as you leave this morning, as you go home this week, that you're allowed to say, God, I don't know. I'm frustrated with you. I'm deeply sad about how life is going. And you know, he welcomes that, and he knows already. It's not a secret. But he knows that when we walk through hard times as human beings, we're prone to sadness. And yet the Psalms are an example to us that when we face suffering, that though we experience distress, we can remain confident in God's plan, his purposes, and in him. Have you found that to be true? That even when life's hardest situation comes, he's still, he's still there. He's still worthy of it. It just doesn't feel like it. And so we can have the space to process and to feel all the feels. And yet we can also have a forward-looking hope to know where our feelings take us at the end of the day. And so let's pray this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. God, I just, as we read through Psalm 31 this morning, as we're mindful of living in this both and of knowing that we can feel all the feels at the same time, I pray for those who walked in this room this morning burdened, who feel heavy, who feel like life is just not going the way that they want it to go, who feel like frustrated with you, to be honest. Thank you, God, that you're a God who cares about that, that you're a God that we're allowed to say that to. We won't be disciplined or reprimanded, but we will just be heard and comforted. Thank you, God, that you, in your word, example to us what it looks like to both mourn and to dance and to feel sad and to be happy all in the same moment. And so, God, as we leave this place this morning, would we have a sweet sense, a sweet reminder that we're allowed to feel all the feels and yet still have confidence in you? That they're not an either-or. I don't have to not have faith in you or have faith and disregard my circumstance. I'm allowed to have both. And so we just thank you for who you are, that even in you as a whole, that you are filled with these contradictory both ends. And you felt them yourself. You have rejoiced over things and mourned them at the same time. And so, Lord, would you just help us to be people who do that well and come along other side people and help them to do the same, that we're not pulling people from one extremes to the other, but we can live in the middle to say, I see you in your grief and I hear you. And there is a God who deeply cares about your situation, and yet I will sit with you in this grief. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and for your graciousness in our lives. We love you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.